Listen to the words of Pastor Larry Piper. (laughs) If there is a God, if we are created in the image of God, as the Bible teaches, and if he is just and holy and worthy of our love and devotion and worship and obedience, and justly angry at our indifference and distrust and our preference for other things, And if we are going to give an account to this infinite, holy God and be sentenced to heaven or to hell, then death is terrifying if things are not right with God. Therefore, even for people who deny the reality of such a God, death is terrifying. This doesn't mean that most unbelieving people lead consciously terrified lives. It means that they are enslaved by the fear of death to find ways not to feel the intolerable fear that they have. That is, fear of dying is so natural for sinful people who are, ready, or who are not ready to meet God that it rules them like a silent master who takes many forms. The main form is the dream world of denial. Most people simply do not let themselves think about what is absolutely inevitable namely their own death. They are driven consciously or unconsciously to shut their eyes and close their ears and blank their minds to every thought that they are going to die and have to give an account to God. And this is a form of slavery to the fear of death. They would say they are not afraid, but the fact is The fear has gone underground and enslaves them from the subconscious. The point is that fear of death enslaves everybody into a dream world of denial or escape or narcotic numbness or frenzied distraction or philosophical negation or paralyzing panic. Unless something happens that deals with the reality of death, And God and the devil and sin as they really are with no evasions or distortions or denials. Look at me at verse with me at verses 14 and 15 of Hebrews 2 that we just read together and walk with me through the five steps that are here in your deliverance from bondage to the fear of death. Step one. You are human. Verse 14 reads this. Since the children share in flesh and blood. When he says this in verse 14, that these children share in flesh and blood, he's saying that they are simply human. They have a human nature. They are not angels or gods. And then in step two, Christ became human. We see this in 14. Since then, the children share in flesh and blood. He himself likewise also partook of the same. The Son of God did not come into being when Jesus was born. He existed before creation. Indeed, from eternity as the very image of God and was himself God. But since the children whom he loved and wanted to save were human, he took on the very same human nature. 
So Jesus was actually God and actually man. It is a great mystery. But this is what God tells us about his son. Step three. Christ did this so that he could die. Again in 14. Since then the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same. That through death... In his divine nature alone, Christ's life was indestructible. He could not die. But a death was necessary to deal with guilt and the punishment of sin. So Christ became human precisely so that he could die. This is what love does. It embraces suffering and death for the life of others. Step four. In dying, Christ rendered powerless the one who has the power of death, the devil. Listen to verse 14 continued. That through death he might render powerless him who has the power of death, that is the devil. In dying, Christ defeated in some profound way the power of the devil and took away his ability to destroy by death. How did Christ do this? That's why we will see, uh, that's what we will see when we look at verse four, uh, 17. But for right now, it just says that that's what Christ willingly died to do. The apparent defeat of death was a knockout blow to Satan. How? Hold on, we will see. Step five. The effect of defeating the devil in this way is that we are delivered from slavery to the fear of death. Verse 15, to render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might deliver those who through fear and death were subject to slavery all of their lives. We are freed from the dream world of denial and escape and distraction. We can live now in the full stare of death and not be afraid or self-deluding. That's the flow of thought in verses 14 and 15 of Hebrews chapter 2. The five steps. You are human. Therefore, Christ became human so that he might die for you to nullify the deadly power of the devil so that you might be freed from slavery of fear and live in freedom the rest of eternity.
So now the great question becomes, how does the death of Christ defeat the power of the devil and death? Verse 17 says, Jesus became like us so that he could be our high priest. Now what the high priest did in the Old Testament was make sin offerings for the people so that their sins could be forgiven. So why did Jesus have to become a human like us in order to be a high priest for us? Because the offering he had to give was the offering of himself. He needed to become a human high priest so that he could lay down his life, not only as the priest who makes the offering, but also as the offering that he makes. Christ strips the devil of his power in death by making propitiation for our sins. So how does that work? The big word propitiation simply means that Christ takes away God's anger at us for our sins. When Christ dies, he is perfectly innocent. His death is to bear the guilt and punishment for our sins, not his own. And when our punishment falls on him, it is taken away from us. And that's what propitiation means. God's justice is satisfied. He loved us enough to put his own son forward to absorb the punishment we deserved so that he could demonstrate that he is just and faithful in dealing with sin and merciful in dealing with sinners. And this is the great gospel. This is our great salvation. Christ dying in our place and propitiating God, removing his righteous anger from us. So there in him is now no condemnation. So let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for this great act that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That we who are in Christ have had our sins justified through the propitiation of Christ. Jesus, you took our sins and you gave us your righteousness that satisfied the wrath of God. We were not worthy of this. It is through this marvelous grace that you, God, have dealt with and paid for our sins. And so, Jesus, we give you thanks. Amen. Now, how does that render powerless the one who had the power of death, the devil? It doesn't mean that Christians don't die a physical death, sometimes very painful ones. Nor does it mean that Satan can't kill us. What it means is that the only weapon the devil can use to destroy us in death is our own sin. Nobody goes to hell because they are oppressed by the devil or even possessed by the devil. Nobody goes to hell because they are harassed by the devil or get shot at by the devil or given hallucinations by the devil. No, these are simply smoke screens to hide the one deadly power in Satan's artillery, which is unforgiven sin. The only reason anybody goes to hell is because of their own sin. And all Satan can do is fight 
fight to keep you sinning and to keep you away from the one who forgives your sin. Because if your sin is forgiven and the wrath of God Almighty is turned away from you, then the devil is disarmed. The one deadly lethal tactic he has is to accuse you of sin and keep you sinning and to keep you away from Christ who forgives sin and removes the wrath of God. If your sins are forgiven and the wrath of God is removed from you and you stand righteous before God in Jesus Christ by faith and God is for you and not against you, then the devil is rendered powerless. He cannot destroy you. So in sum, the way Christ renders powerless the devil is by making this thing propitiation for our sins which shows that the only lethal weapon in the artillery of Satan is our own sin. If that is covered by the blood of Jesus, if that is forgiven, and if the anger of God against it is gone, and in its place is omnipotent grace working for our good, then how Uh, then we can cry out to any human or demonic manslayer, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? The body they may kill, but that is all. Instantly, we are at home with the Lord.
So this leaves us with one very brief observation from verse 18. Hebrews 2, 18 again says, For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. And granted that the fear of death is taken away and we are freed. But what about the pain and the losses that lead up to death? Pastor R.C. Sproul once said, It's not death that I'm afraid of, it's dying. It's the degeneration It's the loss of our powers. It's the humility of senility. It's the pain. It's the breaking away of loved ones. What about all the trials and the temptations to give up and despair in these things? So I think in verse 18, it is meant to encourage us here. It says, For since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. In other words, Christ took on weak, vulnerable human nature, not only so that we could experience death, but that also he could experience dying and then sympathize with the temptations that come with suffering and dying. It says he was tempted in that which he suffered. This isn't the temptation of lust or greed. This is the temptation to get angry or to be resentful or sullen, or self-pitying, and despairing, and unbelieving in the goodness of God. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me, is a hair's breadth from blasphemy. And this is the point. Not only do we have, do you have, the word of God this morning proclaimed, being proclaimed to you, and yet you are free from slavery, but you are free to be free from the fear of death. You also have a word from God this morning that when the trial comes and you're dying, when you are tempted to despair or self-pity or resentment or anger or unbelief, Christ will help you. And he will come as one who knows from his own agonizing experience just what you are experiencing. And he will give you what you need to endure to the end. He is merciful and faithful, a high priest, and he will do it. That is a promise from God. Church, this table is a place where we remember this merciful and faithful high priest. And as we approach the table today, we are reminded of the great victory of Jesus that he won for us at the greatest of costs. How he must love us to have borne the cross for us. And as we come to the table, we forsake our fears, even the greatest of fears, the fear of death. Knowing that if God is for us, then who can be against us? And so we remember and we celebrate that on the night in which he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and after giving thanks, he broke it saying, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is representative of the new covenant in my blood. Do this also in remembrance of me. So church, every time that we take of this meal together, we are celebrating, we are declaring Christ's decisive victory over death on our behalf. And the table here at North Wake is open to anyone who by faith has placed themselves in that victorious place with Christ. That death no longer reigns, but life does in its place. So church, if you are walking in that victory, please come and celebrate the victory that Christ purchased on our behalf. And as you do, if you would, use the wall aisles to approach in the center aisle and in these two aisles to go back. So please come, celebrate the victory of Christ.